0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Employment Law Podcast, brought to you by the lawyers from EI Legal. My name is Simon Obi. I'm the principal lawyer here, and I'm here uh, today with two other uh, employment lawyers, um, Antonia Randalls and Ahana Lakia. This is a weekly podcast where we talk about. Different issues in employment law aimed at HR professionals in-house counsel and really anyone with an interest in Australian employment law and what we're going to talk about today is independent contractors um, and the the risks and obligations that are associated with businesses who um, engage uh, workers through this independent contractor um, uh, arrangement. And um, I guess the the first thing to um, note is that it's important for businesses really to spend a bit of time when they're engaging a new um, worker to make sure that they're doing it correctly. Um, If they're thinking about engaging someone as a contractor, making sure that uh, the way that they um, engage them is is, is really um, a genuine contractor arrangement. Uh, and the, the reason for doing that is the courts um, frequently um, are called to look at um, whether someone is a real contractor or not, if in fact they are being treated as an employee, then notwithstanding the fact that they might have agreed um, through their contract to be a contractor, um, the court um, often uh, finds that such people are in reality employees because they've been treated as employees and from that flows a number of um, real uh, risks for the business and businesses can be fined. Um, for what's called sham contracting which is um, engaging someone as a contractor when they should have been an employee and they can be liable to back pay that individual um, entitlements that are associated with, with employment such as paid leave, notice, redundancy and all those sorts of things and it it, it is uh, an area that um, The Fair Work Ombudsman, so the the Government Regulator of Employment Law frequently gets involved in um, auditing businesses um, to see that their arrangements are correct. Um, The the thing to bear in mind with contractors versus employees, employment is a very regulated area, Um, employees are protected by numerous bits of legislation which sets out a minimum wage and rights to kind of leave and all those sorts of things contractors um, don't have that protection the the contractor um, uh, legal landscape landscape is, is very un, unregulated and, and for a business all they really need to do is um, pay the uh, contractor and and uh, subject to some some exceptions we'll come on to later there's, there's, there's very few sort of obligations they need to follow which is why um, a lot of businesses like to engage people in this way but it's important to, to understand the risks of doing so and um, uh, we were speaking earlier about the fact that in the Fair Work Act um, there's no definition of what contractor or an employee is so um, really to determine whether someone's a genuine contractor you need to look at the case law that's developed over time and this has set out um, a number of factors which which have to be looked at um, to determine whether someone is a genuine contractor um, or is in reality an employee so maybe we can start by talking about um, those factors that a court will will look at if they're called upon to determine that question.
1: Mm. Yeah, so I guess the first thing that the court will look at is the terms of any written agreement between the parties, so whether there's actually an independent contractor agreement um, that's been drawn up. And it is important to note that even if there is an agreement which purports Um, to state that the relationship is that of contractor um, and principal, that necessarily won't be the determining factor, um, but it is certainly something that the court will look at to see how the two parties involved have identified themselves. Um, And one of the main, I guess, tests that the court looks at is the control test, um, and that's whether the employer or the principal actually has the right to control what the worker is doing. Um, For example, do they have oversight over how the work is performed? Um, Do they have oversight over what hours of work they'll perform, where the work is performed, and whether there's actually an opportunity for the worker to accept or reject work Mm -hmm. on any given occasion. So the factor of control over the way work is performed um, is quite important in determining whether someone's an employee or a contractor
0: yeah and and the more the more control that that exists the the greater the um uh, likelihood that someone is is going to be found to be an employee i guess is, is the key key point there
1: yeah especially where if the employer um or the principal they're advising the contractor on sort of what work to be performed, I had a client who sort of issued a task list to um, workers every single day, which basically explained what needed to be done, how it would be done, and I thought that was um, quite indicative of the employer having control over the worker,
2: and something else, uh, Hannah, that I know you've mentioned in the past when we've um, been advising on this is it's important to think about the right to control versus actual control. Mm. So uh, often senior um, and, and really experienced employees don't necessarily need that type of direction and they can sort of go about their day to day, but the employer still has that right to control the work that they're doing. Um, And so it's, it's, I think, important to look at that um, distinction as well. Um, Going back to the terms of the agreement, I think, for me, what really drives this home is it's really substance versus form. Mm. So it's like, yes, the form of the contract says a particular thing, but like, what does the substance, what does the actual relationship look like? And my favorite way of, um, and obviously this is not an original um, quote, but my favorite way of articulating and sort of that is if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And so I think people really understand that when you say, um, you know, if what does it actually look like? I know the contract says one thing but what do what does the working relationship actually look like? And that's where all these factors come yeah, into play.
1: I think that's a really good point because a lot of um, employers believe that they're protected simply because they've got that contract in place, yeah. but that's not necessarily the case. Like I mentioned before, that is one of many factors that the court will look at, yeah. um, along with, like I said, control. The other thing, and we were talking about this before, Simon, I think this is quite a significant factor in establishing the nature of a contractual relationship is whether the worker is integrated and how the worker is integrated um, within the business of the employer so are are they you know wearing uniforms Um, are they representing themselves as being part and parcel of the business are they being required to comply with the company's policy Um, do they you know have to do they have a company car bearing the logo I think the more they're integrated within the business the more likely they are an employee as opposed to a contractor. Um, whereas a contractor will have their own business and they'll have an opportunity to generate goodwill for their own business. And they're simply performing a service um, for the company, but they're not necessarily part and parcel of the mm. employer's business. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And how, how I like to think about it, um, the kind of integration test is is how do they appear to the outside world? Do they appear to be running their own business, to do, doing things to, to generate their own profit and goodwill, or, or do they just appear to be part of, of the, um, you know, the employer's employer's business? If they're wearing the employer's uniform, you know, as you say, driving a, a branded vehicle, maybe they have the employers sort of email address um, business cards with the employers um, logo on all, all those sorts of um, factors point to integration in in that business um, uh, and I, I suppose looking at it the other the other way around what what kind of factors um, point towards a, a genuine contractor relationship um, would be things like um, the worker advertises their services, you know, externally to other businesses. That's that's clearly something which, which, you know, points very clearly to them running their own business and not being part of, of the uh, the employer's business. Um, so that's that's another factor. What are are some of the other things that the courts tend to look at?
1: I think the other main one that comes up a lot is the delegation test, whether the independent contractor actually has the ability, not only the ability to delegate, but whether in practice they do in fact delegate to their own employees or to any subcontractors. Because a lot of the times, again, going back to the terms of the agreement, there might just be a sentence in there which states... The contractor can subcontract work um, subject to consent of the company, something to that effect. But if in reality they don't actually subcontract or delegate any work and they then have to, you know, obtain the employer's consent, that's going to be quite a determinative factor because, um, yeah, usually a contractor, they have the right to perform the work in any manner in which they see fit, Mm. which can include... Hiring a worker to do it, um, or subcontracting the work to someone else. So I think that's also quite a key factor that um, that should be looked at, and that the courts do look at.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I guess if you think think it through, um, kind of logically, if you're if if you've got someone working in your business and and you're trying to work out, you know, whether they would be a genuine contractor or not. Um, you know an employee if you've got an employee you, you employ that person to do uh, that job it would be inconceivable in in most jobs if they uh turned up to work with with a helper and said well this person i brought this person along to to you know, help me perform my role or or even uh, actually you know they're, they're going to sit in my seat today i'm off to do something else but they'll <laughs> perform those duties whereas a contractor you know that, that is part and parcel of 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 a contractor relationship where the contractor is running their own business mm. you're you're contracting them to to provide a particular service and it's up, up to them how how they how they perform that if they have a team of people that can help them or, or you know a, a, another person that they can delegate work to and um, you know that is a is is a very key factor in establishing the genuineness of that contractor relationship I
1: often ask clients when we talk about this test what happens when the contractor's sick, who's responsible Mm. Um, you know if some job has to be performed, if it's just like a project then it's up to the contractor, if they're sick they're sick on any given day, they'll get it done when they can, but if it's a job where they have to turn up every single day what happens if a contractor's sick is the company responsible um, fulfilling that person um, when that person's sick or is it the contractor's duty to get a subcontractor fill in for them. I think that's also a good sort of indication of whether there's actually an ability to delegate because if the contractor is sick and they just tell the company, oh, I'm you know, unwell today, it'll probably be likely that the project's delayed by a couple of days, um, then it's more likely to be an indication they're a contractor because they have, again, control over how the work is done and they don't necessarily have to fill in um, just because they're sick.
2: And something else that, um, that the court will look at too is centred around how the contractor or how the worker, sorry, is, is compensated for the work that they're doing. So are they being paid for the production of a result or are they being paid in accordance with the hours that they work? often an independent contractor agreement will center around you will be paid X to achieve X result, as opposed to an employment arrangement where that, it doesn't necessarily center around the completion of a specific service, but the employee is there to work um, a particular amount of hours per day on an ongoing basis. Um, and so that's something else that is really helpful to look at. It won't always be the case that a contractor is paid for the production of a result but it is something that will likely indicate there is a contractor relationship if that's the way that it's
1: structured Mm. so you mean for example where there's a project um the company will say you'll get paid ten thousand dollars at the end of the completion of the project as opposed to the worker being paid um, per hour like you'll be paid fifty dollars per hour Every day that you work, yeah, yeah. So it's and there being
2: no real endpoint, um, there isn't necessarily any distinction around a particular task. It's just you're paid on an hourly basis on an ongoing basis, correct. Which will often indicate more of an employment relationship because
1: that's how employees, employees are usually paid. Work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: correct. Okay, and, and what are some other um, other factors that uh, a court will look at? I was I was thinking um, about. Uh, whether the worker provides um, their own equipment or tools um, so uh, generally employees are provided with you know all the equipment that they need to perform um, their their role whereas a contractor would be required to provide their own tools and equipment at their own um, expense whether that be you know um, Computer equipment or, or, you know, tools, um, you know, tools of trade, sort of um, machinery or, 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 or the like. Um, I think that's a, a factor which which courts um, will focus on.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing um, that the courts will look at is who bears a risk of any defective work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, an independent contractor will generally bear the commercial risk and responsibility of any sort of. Um, workmanship so and they'll usually carry their own insurances um on the other hand as an employee if you stuff up or if you do something wrong it's the employer who has the necessary insurances and it's the employee's ultimate responsibility um to i guess fix any bad work um, so i think that's also quite a determinative um factor
0: yeah i agree and, and how that often plays out is i suppose if you think about uh, if something goes wrong on a particular piece of work and it, and needs to be put right, I- if an employee has to do that and say so the job takes an extra day, the employee would be expected to be paid for that extra day's work. Or as a contractor, if you've agreed a sc- kind of fee for a project, but it takes takes an extra day, that's at the contractor's own own uh, risk. So yeah, I think that's that's a very kind of good point to make
1: yeah and if like antonia mentioned the contract is paid um, at the end of a project uh, because of achieving a result and there is any defective work then the principal would usually withhold Hmm. payment um, until that work is completed whereas like you said simon if an employee uh, messes up in some way they're still entitled to be paid their wages and then there'll be some sort of I'm sure performance, performance management. management and disciplinary action that will follow uh, but they still have to be paid
0: yep, yep. Um, and the other one that occurred to me which comes up quite uh, often is the ability to work for um, other businesses an employee not always but an employee will, will generally be um, required just to perform work for one particular company whereas a genuine contractor will, will um, often be performing work for, for multiple other businesses or clients. Um,
2: and so, I mean, that's because they're generating goodwill for their own business, right? Whereas an employee is sort of generating that on behalf of an employer. Whereas if you're a genuine independent contractor, the work that you're doing is actually generating goodwill for your own business.
0: Yeah, precisely, precisely um any other kind of factors which come up a lot
1: not anything that we've covered off the only other thing that i thought i'd add is a lot of the times it will be more likely to be genuine if the company is engaging with um, a contractor who has a company like a acn as opposed to just a sole trader um because, like you said, a sole trader is more likely to just work only for that one company and can't necessarily generate their own goodwill if they don't have their own business. But where there's an established company um, with their own business, it's more likely to be a contract contractor relationship between two entities. Yeah, yeah, if it, yeah. I agree. I
0: mean, if, if, if the worker has, has a PTY limited um, company, for example, that is um, a big factor which, that they're running their own business, although it's not a complete um, shield by any means. I have seen some cases where uh, the um, court was prepared to um, to find that an employment relationship existed even, even with that um, company shield. Yeah. Um, it, it, before we kind of move on then, um, I guess it's probably just worth sort of noting that the most recent case that dealt with the employee versus contractor test was um, the Uber Eats test, uh, Uber Eats case. Um, uh, when was that? Um, you know, a couple of months ago now, I guess. Um, and and as as per usual, the the, the approach the court um, took in that was to look at all the factors. in In that case, they found that. Uber Eats driver was uh, a contractor rather than an employee. The the driver had claimed that they were an employee and and therefore entitled to employment um, benefits. And the the court in that um, case placed weight on three particular factors uh, which um, the Uber uh, Uber Eats had no control over when or how long the driver performed her work she could you know log on to the the system um, whenever she wanted you know for a couple of hours or for a lot longer period so um, that that was inconsistent with an employment relationship employees you know you, you tend to say you start and finish at this time and you know you work on these days the other factor was The driver was able to perform work for others, she could accept work through other competitor food delivery apps um, or or other work, which was consistent with a contractor arrangement. And the third thing was that she was not presented as part of Uber Eats. She didn't have to wear a uniform or or, um, have a branded vehicle or anything like that. So that was a case where there was uh, a genuine contractor um, relationship found. So so I guess to to summarise the test um, uh, as to whether someone is a genuine contractor or an employee, I think if you had to boil it down to to one thing, it would be, is the worker really running their own business um, or are they just working um, within your business? And I think if you have that you've engaged as contractors or are about to engage as contractors if you, if you just think about that one question to, to begin with and, and say you know just thinking about it logically is can I honestly say this person is running their own business um, uh, you know that's a good way to start thinking about it the other kind of way to think about it in simple terms is are you treating this person any differently from your employees Um, if the only difference is you're um, paying them through an invoice then that's probably um, not going to be sufficient okay so
1: yeah I mean to add to that as well I, I guess what I wanted to clarify how we sort of help our clients is we go through these factors and then advise on whether you should sort of continue engaging someone as a contractor or help you transition them to employment and what I've find, and I think we were talking about this before, Antonia, is a lot of the times employers are scared to offer permanent and ongoing employment Mm. to employees, and that's why they think the solution to that is to engage them as contractors, even if they're not genuine contractors, keeping all those factors in mind. And where I have seen this come up quite a lot is clients who are not-for-profit organisations who rely on government funding. Um, So... In those situations, they can't necessarily um, offer ongoing and permanent employment, but then they also don't want to offer casual employment because the worker might be working, you know, five days a week, 40 hours um, a week. So I think in those sorts of situations, it's important to understand that it's not just an easy fix to offer them. Um, engagement as a contractor it's they're, not get out of jail free contract. exactly sometimes you'll end up in hot water because you're paying a contractor a very high rate and if they're found to be an employee then you're going to face penalties for sham contracting and then back payment of entitlements but there are other options um, and using that not-for-profit example something that we advise is you can enter into a fixed term contract um, which is essentially a contract for a specified period which automatically ends when the term expires. So the employee won't um, have access to you know, unfair dismissal or anything like that. It, the contract will automatically terminate at the expiry of the term and then the employee is not entitled to ongoing permanent employment. So I think that's a solution as well which a lot of employers don't think of. So we can definitely help think of solutions and it's not just an easy fix to engage someone as a contractor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so let's just um, finish off by talking about a a couple of um, additional things that businesses need to be aware of when engaging contractors. But the first thing, and this is something which um, surprises uh, a lot of businesses, is that even genuine um, contractors be entitled to superannuation in in certain circumstances so the the superannuation act um, has a kind of broader definition of um, employee than the kind of common law meaning which means that even if someone is a a genuine contractor for the purposes of of, um, uh, the employment benefits we've been talking about So far, they can still be entitled to superannuation. Um, And when they are entitled to superannuation, they basically have to have met three requirements, which are they are paid mainly for their personal labour and skills rather than to provide materials or equipment. Number two, they're required to perform work. Personally, rather than being able to delegate the work to others, such as their own employees or subcontractors, and finally um, that they are paid for their um, their their time rather than to achieve a result. So, if you've been through those list of factors that we talked about um, uh, earlier, and you've you're you're confident that overall the um, worker is a contractor, even if that's the case, if they satisfy those those three things, being required to perform work personally, um, being paid for their, their personal labor rather than to provide materials or equipment, and being paid for hours work rather than to achieve result, they are likely to be entitled to superannuation it doesn't make them an employee it just means that they have to be paid superannuation and the the second thing um, regarding superannuation I should highlight is the superannuation legislation also says that certain um, roles and occupations genuine contractors are entitled to superannuation as well so if they're contracted to perform or provide services in relation to music plays films TV radio dancing entertainment sport or promotional activities they are also likely to be entitled to super even if they're a genuine contractor so if you're working in that industry and you're using contractors to um, to uh, provide services or, or to you know, make actual performances in those areas. Uh, do uh, do uh, seek some advice if you're not aware of your superannuation obligations.
1: Yeah, that's a g- good point, And I think that I was surprised to learn that a while ago um, about that exception about anyone performing services in connection with the entertainment industry. Um, something else that I guess people should be aware of as well is that even if you are a genuine independent contractor at common law, based on all the factors that we've discussed today, you can still be deemed a worker for the purposes of worker compensation legislation. And workers' compensation legislation is state-specific. Um, but just by way of example, in Victoria, in, under the workers Workplace Injury Rehabilitation and Compensation Act, a contractor um, can still be a worker for the purposes of receiving workers' comp. In certain situations and specifically what the act states is that if the gross income of that contractor is derived from the same company um, if at least 80% of their gross income is derived from the, exactly the same company then they're more likely to be deemed a worker so it's important to keep that in mind as well because a lot of the times what we see is if there is an independent contractor agreement it will require the contractor to obtain their own insurances including workers comp but you may be liable as a um, as a principal under certain workers compensation legislation to have um, insurance work, workers um, insurance compensation insurance for specific contractors
0: yeah absolutely that's that's a really good point and as you say it varies from state to state exactly how it works so yeah, do, do seek some advice if you're not sure about your obligations regarding that. Um, I think we've probably uh, covered all that we can today. Um, we have uh, developed, together with our friends at Employment Innovations, a, a checklist um, which goes through um, the uh, factors we've been talking about, which helps you Um, determine whether someone you're about to engage or someone that you are um, currently engaging is a genuine contractor or an employee. It also talks about um, superannuation obligations. Um, That is available on the Employment Innovations website, employmentinnovations.com. If you go to the resources tab there is um, uh, a number of checklists that you can download and and that is there. if you uh, need uh, any advice or, or have any thoughts or, or questions or anything to do with what you've heard today, please do reach out to us here at um, EI Legal, our email address is info at eilegal.com.au. Um, I should just mention that everything we've talked about today is, is intended to be general in. In nature and if you do require individual advice please do reach out to us. Um, thank you for your uh, attention today and uh, we will speak to you again next week.
2: Thanks everyone. Thank you.